Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Job 2, 11 through 13, called Weep with Those Who Weep. Even in the New Testament times when uh, Jesus uh, was talking to the man that was born blind, the apostle said, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was what? Born this way. Somebody must have sinned. The Jews even had an idea that if you came out with some sort of birth defect, that maybe you sinned in the womb. And that's why you were born blind, for example. And Jesus said, no, neither him nor his parents sinned. This has happened that the glory of God might be manifest in him. But look, when people go through a difficult time, and imagine, you know, you start counting all the losses, all the calamities, the the things that happened by, you know, these bandits, and then what we call natural disasters, all these things come upon Job, and people would begin to speculate. And do you think their speculation would be positive or negative? You think they'd be saying, well, it's just a happenstance. Job's a good guy. I'm sure that this is just terrible luck. Or would people be saying, oh, Job must have done something wrong. Because none of this stuff would have come on him had he not sinned against God. And by the time the friends opened their mouths, they were doing well until they opened their mouths. And by the way, they don't talk for seven days. But once they start talking, that's when they get in trouble. Now, we'll dig that out a little bit more. But here's the image. It's a sad and powerful image. Before us is Job, this great man, sitting on the ash heap, out in the city dump, perhaps amidst the fire and the smoke, the burning trash, oozing boils, scraping them. I don't know how long he sat there. I don't know if when the men come to him, he's still there or if he's now in a house because, as we mentioned, much time has to have gone by for them to hear, get organized, and come. But I'll just say this to you. The first thing, if we're going to reach out to people in their adversity, verse 11, friends in adversity, we have to hear about it. I think that's a basic point, but I don't want to assume that for a moment because sometimes people assume that others know more about their adversity than we actually know. Sometimes we find out people are in trouble through the prayer chain. Sometimes a church member will come to us and say, hey, you know, this person's sick or this person's in the hospital. But can I just tell you, for all practical purposes, for us as a church fellowship, please tell somebody if you're in trouble. Because if you don't tell us, there's no way we can know to dispatch help to you. And we have a meals ministry. We have people willing to visit folks in the hospital that do that. But we have to hear about the information. And, and we would like to know, if you have a need, please come to us. If you need to talk to somebody, our doors are open to you as pastors. Please come and see us. We have other people who counsel in this fellowship. But we have to know that you have a need. We have to know that you're in a moment of crisis, that you have some adversity going on where you need some help. And just to encourage you, everybody needs help at some point in their life. 
So don't let pride or embarrassment keep you away from getting the help that you need. And remember that churches are filled with human beings, and so sometimes churches don't always handle things the best way. We try our best. So just make sure, if you need help, that you get the word out. Number two, if you're a a person who has a person in a Bible study that you know well, a friend of yours that you know well, you might want to get organized with some other people that know and love that person and set up something to minister to that person. It doesn't have to all fall on you. And some of us, we do that. We hear about something and we feel like we got to fix everything. And we got to be there 24-7. We can't do that, so we got to get organized. We got to be the body of Christ. We got to let people do the ministry to which they feel called and allow other people to get involved. So they got organized. They communicated. They made an appointment. I'll say this as well, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this. If, if I were in the hospital, I would love for people to visit me, but I would love to know that they're coming. Can I get a witness? All right. So, you know, there are times when you're hurting and you're going through something and you would love people to pray for you and you would love people to bring you lasagna or spaghetti and meatballs or whatever it is, right? It's all Italian for me. However, if they made an appointment, then you don't have to come up to the door with your hair sticking in 17 different directions and, you know, you're limping to the door. (laughs) You'll scare people that way. So it would be good to just say to someone, hey, I'd like to bring a meal by to your house. Is 5 o'clock okay? And then find out. So I think there's just some practical things that we can understand, that we can get together with others, we can come up with a game plan, we can be praying for that person, and then we can minister practical ways or practical help to them. How did they hear about his adversity? Well, I think it was big news. His huge losses were big news. I think people were talking about it. I can imagine Job sitting there for several days and people coming by and whispering in the town, paparazzi getting out of chariots, snapping photos of Job with the boils. Job in his misery. Right? Have you ever noticed that these uh, magazines, they love to snap pictures of people at the most inopportune times when your face is all contorted and, you know... That's when they love to get you at your worst moment. They love to kick them when they're up, kick them when they're down. Kick them when they're up, kick them when they're down. Remember that song by Don Henley, right? The bubble-headed bleach blonde comes on at five. She can tell you about the plane crash with a gleam in her eye. It's interesting when people die. Give us dirty laundry. Right? Hey, this is our world. Can you imagine how many people probably were talking about Job in that way? You know, sometimes when someone's talking about us, we get a report about it. But can you imagine being the greatest man of the East and starting to hear all the speculation about your life? Maybe some people talking about what your wife said to you, what's happened to you. People... See, we have an easier time weeping with those who weep than rejoicing with those who rejoice, I would submit to you. Sometimes it's easier to come into someone's pain than to be happy for someone's success. 
And can you imagine that there were probably a lot of people in town that were jealous of Job? Is that a good assumption? He was the greatest man in the East. People are normally jealous of that. And so all these opinions, I'm sure, were forming. And in the next several chapters, even Job's three friends, and some of the language indicates that they were in covenant relationship with him, they begin to speculate about what he must have done wrong to deserve this. So if they did it, how much more people who could have cared less about Job, who just jumped on the misery bandwagon. And so they come. Friends are important to have, but Job will say about these friends that he says, my friends are scoffers. Job 16, 20, my eye weeps to God. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Well, these three friends did come, so you have to give them credit. Just coming is a big step right? Sometimes it's hard for us just to take that step, just to come, just to show up is a big step. Sometimes we can assume that other people are showing up when someone's in a tough spot. We can't make that assumption. People tend to run from stuff like that rather than showing up. Amen? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, says James in James 2, 15 and 16, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. Please hear this. What use is that? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 1 John 3, 16, NIV. So we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And that's what these three friends did. They had to sacrifice weeks of overseeing whatever they had, leaving family behind, and they came to him. They coordinated. Their goal was simple. Their goal was to sympathize with Job and to comfort him in his affliction. I think when we visit people, these are good goals to have. You know somebody who's going through a crisis right now emotionally, spiritually, otherwise. A good goal ahead of time, so you know ahead of time, before you ring the bell, walk through the door, get picked up on that surveillance that's part of the doorbell now, is already know what you're looking to accomplish. Yes, you let the Holy Spirit lead you, but, but if your goal is to bring comfort and encouragement, then have that in mind and say before you ring the bell, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? I think we need to pray, Lord, what should I say? How should I say it? And please tell me when to be quiet. Because sometimes we say things that are not helpful because we don't know what else to say. There's a spot in the New Testament when Peter Uh, talks about making three tabernacles at the Man of Transfiguration. And it says that Peter said that because he didn't know what to say. Now, I think Peter, what he said was actually good, but the Bible does say he didn't know what to say. And so we have to be careful. But if our goals are going to be sympathy and consolation, we're doing well. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Well, these three friends did come, so you have to give them credit. Just coming is a big step, right? Sometimes it's hard for us just to take that step, just to come. Just to show up is a big step. Sometimes we can assume that other people are showing up when someone's in a tough spot. We can't make that assumption. People tend to run from stuff like that rather than showing up, amen? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, says James, in James 2, 15 and 16, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. Please hear this. What use is that? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 1 John 3, 16, NIV, So we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And that's what these three friends did. They had to sacrifice weeks of overseeing whatever they had, leaving family behind, and they came to him. They coordinated. Their goal was simple. Their goal was to sympathize with Job and to comfort him in his affliction. I think when we visit people, these are good goals to have. You know somebody who's going through a crisis right now emotionally, spiritually, otherwise. A good goal ahead of time, so you know ahead of time, before you ring the bell, walk through the door, get picked up on that surveillance that's part of the doorbell now, is already know what you're looking to accomplish. Yes, you let the Holy Spirit lead you, but but if your goal is to bring comfort and encouragement, then have that in mind and say before you ring the bell, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? I think we need to pray, Lord, what should I say? How should I say it? And please tell me when to be quiet. Because sometimes we say things that are not helpful because we don't know what else to say. 
There's a spot in the New Testament when Peter uh, talks about making three tabernacles at the Man of Transfiguration. And it says that Peter said that because he didn't know what to say. Now, I think Peter, what he said was actually good, but the Bible does say he didn't know what to say. And so we have to be careful. But if our goals are going to be sympathy and consolation, we're doing well. Now, who were these three friends that came to Job? The first is Eliphaz the Temanite. He's from a town called Timon. It was known as the Southland, a principal site in the northern region of Edom. You can write down Ezekiel 25, 13. Eliphaz's name means God is victorious or God is fine gold, which would be hard for Job to take given what he's going through at the moment. Timon was one of the most important towns of Edom. It was a place known for wisdom. What kind of wisdom, we could ask. Jeremiah 49.20, uh, Amos 1.12, and Obadiah verse 9, only one chapter in Obadiah, all talk about the wisdom of this area. And even asking the question, is there any, no longer any wisdom in Timon? The second man that came, the second friend that came to Job is called Bildad the Shuhite. He's the shortest man in the Bible. Bildad the Shuhite. Got to be pretty short, don't you think? I mean. Now, Bildad, his, the, name of, the meaning of his name is unknown. One commentator says it may mean the son of Bildad or Bilbo. Uh, that's a variant reading from the Lord of the Rings, the son of Bilbo. Anyway, never mind that. Shua was, is one of Abraham's sons by his wife Keturah, one of a group, because they were not to inherit the promise through Isaac, the son of promise. They were sent away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. And so this man, Bildad, comes from this area. Though he was evidently a rich chief, Bildad is presented like his friends primarily as one of the wise. Hence, no details of his family are given in contrast to Elihu, who we will meet in the book. And the third one is Zophar the Namathite. Nama appears in Genesis 4, one of the daughters of Lamech, uh, one of the, as the daughter of one of Lamech's wives, uh, Genesis 4.22, a descendant of Cain, Zophar means twittering bird, coming from the area probably of northern Arabia. So they're coming from some different directions. They hear about the problem, and they come to Job. And they want to sympathize with him. How do you bring sympathy to a lowly sufferer like Job? What do you say? What do you do? Do you drop off a book, some banana bread? I mean, what is the best approach when someone's suffering? And what would we want is a good thing to ask when we're suffering. And sometimes the truth is, I don't know if we know what we need in those times. And so, Lord, show me what to say, when to say it, how to say it, when to be quiet. Well, they came to sympathize. The word for sympathy or console, NIV, is a Hebrew word which means to shake the head in sympathy. It's a sign of shared grief. Have you ever been on the freeway and someone cuts off another driver and you witness the whole thing and the other driver screeches on the brakes and barely misses this car and you look at each other and you both just go like this? 
And that feels good because another driver is sympathizing with your plight, right? They're like, yeah, that person is an idiot. <laughs> that's how they drove. Shared grief. Sometimes that's enough. If, if you walked up, let's just imagine that Job is still sitting in the ash heap, but maybe he's in a house, whatever, and you see him. If you just looked at Job and just went, At least that would be better than curse God and die. <laughs> right? Sometimes the non, you know, there's more forms of nonverbal communication than there are verbal communication. So sometimes your kids are fighting and you say, say sorry to your brother. And they go, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Well, I said it. Yeah, you said it with attitude. Sorry. Right? You might as well not have even said it. So this word console doesn't always mean words. It's shared grief. Sometimes we just need someone to agree with us and shake their head with us. Sometimes we just need someone to be compassionate and to cry with us and console us. And maybe the best thing they could do is just cry with us. Maybe there's no words. Maybe it's something like this. I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. I put that in my notes for my own. I've been in ministry for several decades now. I don't always know the best approach when people are going through stuff, but I've entered into a lot of people's pain being in the ministry. Been called out to situations that were very difficult Loved one just passes away. And I didn't always know what to say. And so I was just praying. And sometimes all I could say is, I am so sorry. And I didn't try to qualify it. I didn't try to quote a Bible verse. I didn't try to, you know, pick the perfect verse and chapter that I could share with them in that moment. Sometimes I just said, I am so sorry. My heart breaks for you. And that's okay. You don't have to have perfect words. What is comfort? We, we did console or sympathize, shaking the head with somebody. What is comfort? Well, how do you impart it? The Hebrew word for comfort is nakam. To comfort involves speaking to the mind and heart of the sufferer in such a way as to change his or her mind and heart. It is an attempt, says this author, to ease the deepest pain caused by tragedy. Where the first example may be more potentially nonverbal, comfort seems to be more verbal. It's to bring a word of comfort in due season. And here's where we need great wisdom, right? Because how do we comfort someone in the right way so that it actually brings comfort and not discomfort to their life? In Genesis 50, 21, when uh, Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good to save many people alive and to bring about this current result. He goes on. He says, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So the Bible says, Genesis 50, 21, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
You've been listening to Weep with Those Who Weep, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Walk in Truth on this station. Walk in Truth is also available on your podcast app. On there, you can listen to all of Pastor Michael's previous teachings in the book of Psalms, First and Second Thessalonians, Galatians, Revelation, and many more. Listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want on apps like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a word. Well, you know, there's nothing like a text or a phone call when you're just going through a tough time and someone says, hey, I was thinking about you and I'm praying for you and I just wanted you to know you were on my heart. You know, I learned a lesson years ago and you can take this for what it is. If someone ends up on your heart for whatever reason, you think about them in a moment, act upon it. Because it may be the Holy Spirit saying to you, hey, that person needs to hear from a friend right now. And it'd be better to act on it than not. And hey, a text, what it takes a minute or less to send a text. Hey, just thinking about you, praying for you. If you need anything, I'm here. It, it, it goes a long way to minister to somebody's heart. God bless you. We'll see you right here tomorrow. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. If you're a longtime listener, please become a partner of at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Job 2, 11-13, called Weep with Those Who Weep. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.